Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! You better stop it! We decided to take on the ready state as part of our lives. We knew that, you know, we, we should start with genetics. Why? Because we were just up to our waist in conversation about genetics everywhere. And when we looked at what we wanted to do in our next series, it was all about kids. The training of kids, the deficiency in, in sport development. I mean, my Facebook feed is full of conversations about how and where and when and what's wrong with sort of how we're training and thinking about the athletic development of a human being. And that starts with middle school. Lead us to this conversation with two of the best people on the planet, Jeff and Mickey Martin. Yeah, I mean, in addition to being some of the nicest people on earth, Jeff and Mickey created the Brand X Method in 2014. It's a strength and conditioning methodology for kids. It's safe and fun and effective. And they're really the masters. They are the go-to people. If someone asks us how ki- how young kids should be strength and conditioning training, we send them always directly to Brand X. Yeah, and, and really looking at, they have a really excellent long-term view because a, they have a bunch of kids themselves and they've been teaching martial arts forever. And so what they've seen is this sort of changing horizon line of the goalposts of sort of physical readiness that the environment has changed underneath the child. We're doing less movement, a lot less non-exercise activity during the day. Kids are more sedentary and we just aren't, they aren't engaged in sort of the robust general physical preparedness that we used to take for granted in the development of our, of our young athletes. We kicked off our conversation with the two of them describing their program and how it got started. Enjoy. If you're going to listen to one over and over again, this is it. The Brand X Method is a training platform for embedding safe movement patterns in kids. So that includes fitness, that includes sport, that includes any kind of movement. And I think the reason we call it a method is because we have a specific way we teach movement. I think early on, I think we had some synergy here really with what Kelly has talked about over the years. Early on, we talked about teaching kids and starting off with where you start, where you go to, and where you finish. And really what we're talking about is positions. And saying to a kid, look, this is the safe position you start from. This is the safe position we go to. This is the safe position we finish with and really embedding those movement, those positions first, and then having the kid learn to move between the positions. So we know at the start of the squat, we want him standing straight up with his hips open, his knees open, and at the bottom of the squat, we want his spine in a neutral position, his knees, or feet generally pointed forward, feet flat, knees out. And we just work on getting that, that position embedded in the, in the child, and then eventually, Moving from that standing position to that bottom position is, is really very simple. You guys started this adventure around Brand X, and Brand X wasn't originally about training kids necessarily. It was about something else. I mean, wh- where did you guys come from that you ended up in sort of not fitness per se, but in mechanics and movement and specializing in motor development of children? What's the, what's the origin story? The origin story is we began as martial arts studio Um, and through teaching the martial arts we realized that it was primarily complex movements which needed to be broken down to be taught correctly into simpler movements but you you had kids in part of that program for a long time didn't you oh yeah absolutely how long would you say you guys have been training kids formally in a movement system because martial arts is a movement system you have to have 20 years. 20 to 25 years, really, we've been <laughs> doing this with kids. And, and honestly, it was one of the things that we saw when we started to do the, the, the fitness side with the kids was it was you just had to break things down uh, in a way that adults you didn't have to. So you can, you can kind of show an adult, hey, do this and this and this. With kids, you have to break it down into um, – easily digestible things that they can that they can get their hands around and i think that's kind of where we started we, we took these complex movements in our in our martial arts systems and broke them down into really simple movements where you could and i think that um, we had a lot of success there with, the, with doing it with that way with martial arts and we just brought that idea into um, the fitness realm with kids you, this we're in this interesting 
conversation globally about the best ways to develop athletic development, the best way to create movement literate children. And isn't it just enough if just kids just show up and do karate or kids just play soccer? Do we need this formal movement training on the other side? I mean, because what I hear you guys saying is, hey, in order to teach this martial art, we also had to teach the fundamentals of lowering your center of gravity and jumping and landing and, and maybe kids weren't prepared for that or that was a missing component to that. So you're hitting on a lot of, a lot yeah. of things there, Kelly. And um, first, we don't really recommend specialization in one area. There are certain movement um, programs like gymnastics and swimming and some martial arts that do include a lot of good basic movement and some physical literacy. But what we're seeing and what the research reflects and all the studies are that the best thing is for kids to have the broadest exposure. Obviously, when they, when they go through those neurological stages where they're pruning, we want to make sure that we have embedded movement patterns prior to that pruning so that kids have that and can build on it for a lifetime. What do you mean so, by pruning? Can you explain that? And like what, when does pruning happen and what is pruning? There are a few different times. Uh, I think it's around age six, or right, around age ten, and maybe later around thirteen or so. Right, but the, it goes into the idea of, of neuroplasticity with the brain. That the brain, um, uh, uh, basically, what easy way for us to lay people to understand it is the brain um, takes in all this information, and then at certain points in the in your life, it starts to prune that information out that it doesn't need. And so if you if you don't have these uh, movement patterns embedded young, what happens is it, 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 they, it's almost hard for the kids to acquire them later on. And it's really one of the things that we're seeing, you know, devastating things that we're seeing um, over the course of our 20 years of doing this. It's not impossible, it's just more difficult. Mm -hmm. So when, when their brains are going, hey, I, 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 there's stuff I need to keep and there's stuff I, I haven't seen enough that I don't need to, re to remember. We need this. We need them to have seen the important stuff enough times to retain it. And what what age range are you talking about? I mean, when should kids start this, and when is it too late? We don't want to say it's ever too late. We don't really want to ever say it's too late. I think, but I think, but I do understand what you're, what you're asking. You know, the, the the problem. You know, really, really, you're getting into the problems we're seeing now with. The problems of what of early sports specialization, the problems of not playing, the problems of sitting at, de at a desk all day long at school, um, and they're just compounding. So we have kids who aren't outside playing when they're three, four, five, six years old, and well, it's just this, I, I the think kids don't. I think people would recognize that, that that smells like a problem. I think even you know most adults today would say things like, "Back in my day, you know, I had right. to, you know." But can you give us some exp explicits about how that reflects in the things that you've seen? Yes, um, in the oh, we're, we're about fifteen years in the in the fitness aspect of this with training kids, we've seen. Uh, uh, this is going to make me sad. I'm going to sound sad all of a sudden. Um, we've seen kids that we, where we had kids come in and, and they could mimic certain movements. Say we teach something that's more of a skilled movement, like a squat or a block squat. And then we pair it with a, a low skill movement, like a side shuffle or a bear crawl. It's hard for us to imagine. I know we're in a different generation than you, but it also may be hard for you to imagine somebody that you played with as a child unable to side shuffle or bear crawl. We have kids now, and, and you ask the ages, we've got preschool kids coming in at age three, we've got kids in the kids class coming in at age five who no longer can do that. The, the physical literacy uh, component is just not there. They, their, their exposure their exposure hasn't happened for some reason. The, the sedentary nature of society, the, the lack of physical literacy because of lack of play. Things that we expected kids to come in, come in with uh, 10 years ago, things like throw a ball. Right. Hmm. Yeah. 
Things. Well, and and you guys know, you know the you guys know the stand up kids origin story, which is Kelly and I were working at Field Day and saw that the kids could not only get into the sack at the sack races, but then couldn't just jump forward, um, and that was such a a piece of basic physical literacy that was missing in kids that just shocked us. Right, right. You get so so that's what I was going. You know, you're going to get to, and it's it's incredible when you start to see it and you go like, your eyes just kind of open up and you're like, holy cow, this is a real problem. 10 years ago, kids could, you said, put your feet together and want you to want you to hop forward. No problem. <laughs> you know, almost 100% of the kids, hey, I want you to bear crawl. 100% of the kids do it. Now you come in and you say, I want you to, uh, you have a soccer player who's 11 years old, who is a high level soccer player on a travel team. You say, put your feet together and hop and you demonstrate it and they can't do it. Or they can't bear crawl and you have to get down on the floor and you have to say, take your left hand and your right foot and move them forward. Take your right hand and your left foot and move them forward. And you have to show them. And, and that's, there, there, there is a crisis coming that, it, that, and it's amazing for, at least from our point of view, we just see it uh, snowballing with the, with the advent of, of, of you know, more, more homework, more um, time on the on devices, less time playing. No PE. Um, no PE. Early or early sports specialization, all of it, and it's just it's snowballing. So not only do we start to see this, but we're starting to see it, the problems. We're starting to see it with massive amount of, of kids. Well, let me let me ask you this. So we we you guys have been teaching kids over twenty five years, and let me just say that you teach powerlifting, you teach Olympic lifting, you teach sports, you teach martial arts, and you also train adults. One of the questions that Juliet and I have around the table, and because this, this conversation can easily weigh into like, holy crap, we have so much work to do and we're failing children. We're ch failing the physical literacy education of children. But let's flip this on a second and say, if you could create an ideal program today, what are the key components to making a physically literate kid? Like, be explicit. This is a very real thing for Juliet and I because of our daughters. The conversations we have around our table, we see a lot of sports. But we're wondering, like, what are the key components to making kids who not are going to be great at college sports, professional sports, but kids who are excited about moving, who have a body that supports them, that get them, that gets them interested in, in being and moving through the world, and you know, frees them up to express the the miracle that is a human body. What are those components? Well, if you're listening as a parent, what would you tell someone to say, hey, I really think that this is a, a successful recipe? We think we have a pretty good answer to it. Um, by using functional movements, by layering physical literacy, and by keeping play, which motivates kids so that they love it, and then can learn over time, um, to apply it in the way they want to. So our goal with what we think is a pretty awesome program is to get kids to move well in basic movement patterns that will transfer to anything else they do. And that's what we mean by, we call them foundational movements, but you might think of them in a, a lot of communities as functional movements, um, but things that transfer. So basic movements that's gonna transfer at the addition of physical literacy, and I mean intentional addition of physical literacy, so activities where they're throwing, catching, rolling, and Jumping. then translating to language, that's a big key component, as well as playfulness. So um, making sure that kids are being exposed to this wide variety of things, intentionally doing activities that include physical literacy elements, and staying playful. So if I'm a parent and I have a two daughters, is it enough for that my kids are in, in soccer and in volleyball and maybe we go skiing? Is that, is that going to be enough given sort of this insidious environmental load and the creeping effects of, of the computer and the screen? I really don't think so. And, you know, we, we kind of talk about this back and forth. You know, kids need unsupervised play. They need to be allowed to just explore and to play, to climb. To jump, to you know, when you look at a a, a, a unencumbered three-year-old, and you take him someplace, I don't know, take him shopping at a mall. That three-year-old will will get down on the floor and crawl under the under the displays. They'll jump up onto stuff. They, they just need to become physically literate, 
and to to be able to explore all options that that you're that you have physically you 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 can't miss that time they have to have some free play that without and, without the helicoptering that goes on and so you know and and so in, in our gym uh, I'll take an example yesterday in, in the gym we finished up our workouts and I and I said to the kids who've been at the top end of our our gymnastics group said dudes uh, you have 10 minutes to construct a um, to construct a, a, a obstacle course and from there I want you guys to um, to see who can get through the obstacle course um, uh, handstand walking and it's just allowing them to come up with their with their own idea and then you know get through this and they played with that for 15 20 minutes another one was just like dudes we got 15 minutes left in the gym um, uh, see who can get around the gym without without uh, coming off the monkey bars. So you know they they start at one end of the gym, they travel all the way around the perimeter on on the bars, and see who can come up with different ways of getting around the bars. You know, and without input from us. Right, you're just creating a a, a section of your hour you have with them for free play. It's so right. cool. And an environment for that. And so I think for, if you're talking with parents, what we're what we see a lot of now is that that kids aren't having that time in their lives any longer. They end up on the device and just sitting or they don't go really outside anymore and just and just explore and play. And that's a critical part that then enters into um, giving them the tools and the ability to uh, to ex express themselves athletic athletically. And I think if you you know, if you want to find a structured place for that, you know, our our gyms are one of them are great. Um, gymnastics is great. But you know, just allowing kids to explore that is is critical in the early years. Well, you know, one of the things that we we hear is from friend. This is Diane Fu's daughter running around being wild. One of the things we hear all the time is that if we could create in a natural environment and we grew up squatting and climbing and swimming and hiking that we wouldn't have to teach as much formal movement because the way we moved in the environment in the natural environment with a lot more work would naturally sort of guide us into better movement patterns and safer movement patterns. We hear that from Greg Cook. There's be no better way to teach a kid the formal movement skills than having them be a little bit more primal and go climb in trees and do the things. But what I hear you guys saying is that because we don't live those modern lives today, that's a lot more difficult to do and that we may have to have a formal movement program for kids that augments what should have happened naturally. I think, think exactly. you hit it on the head, nail on the head. Yeah. I think, you know, and then, and then I think the other side of that is to go too far. So you take, a, you know, the, the, the common quote you hear is, you know, children squat, you know, have perfect squats. And honestly, if you watch a little, little kid go up and, and want to see something on the floor, they squat down, it's beautiful. Their back is straight, their knees are out, everything's great. That's wonderful. But then if you tell that kid, I want you to do 15 of those for time, everything goes, goes out the door. You know, you can't you can't take these complex movements that you want to ingrain a movement pattern in and tell them, I want you to come in, come in, and uh, at five, six, seven years old, do it for time, and think that you're going to get anything but uh, problems out of it. So at some point, there's an important piece because what I hear you guys saying is, hey, maybe there's there's an appropriate place for intensity, but it may not be when we're deriving movement competency that. That the the fastest way to sort of to de, de un to develop like unenvelop or to ruin a motor program is to suddenly make it task time oriented. That it's about a completion. That I move X number of bars this direction, or I have to do this many reps, and I and I end up m missing what's important, which is you know movement quality because it's difficult. We understand that you know it's it's difficult to quantify movement quality especially when we haven't derived what we think are movement vital signs for, for kids. So, you know, one of the things we found several years ago is, or changed several years ago is the kind of the, the um, how we design our workouts. 
So when we move into conditioning, let's say I've got a conditioning class going on. I've got my teens in there. I've got, um, I'm going to do cleans in, in my, in my condition or in my conditioning class. I would, I never have my kids do more than three to five cleans, you know, in a round. And I'll say, then I'll pair that with, um, let's say two un, unskilled movements like uh, burpees and shuttle runs. And I'll, when I'm standing up there explaining them, explaining the class, I'll tell my, tell my teens, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go really hard and fast, as, you, as hard and fast as you can on the burpees and the, and the shuttle run. When you get to your bar, I want you to stand there, I want you to breathe in, I want you to visualize doing three good cleans, I want you to execute three perfect cleans, and then I want you to go hard and fast again. I've given them permission to stop, remember how to move well, I've given them permission to take a little break there to make sure that they move well, and then I've also, but I'm also hitting them really hard. I mean, burpees and shuttle runs, that'll kill you. <laughs> you know, uh, this is a perfect segue to the next question I wanted to ask, which we hear a lot from parents, and I'm sure you guys have heard ad nauseum, is that uh, there seems to be a perception that kids shouldn't lift weights at all. What do you say to that? Um, old mythologies take a long time to die. <laughs> <laughs> kids shouldn't lift weights badly. They shouldn't, lift weight, they shouldn't lift weights um, in a manner in which they, they, uh, they can't move safely. They can't, shouldn't lift a weight that they can't move safely. And they should never lift weights um, outside of a, a, a competent, well-trained coach's eyes. Yeah. And, and that's always been our response, too, that it's totally appropriate, but it needs to be done in a coached environment and, you know, not just any coach. I don't know. I'm just thinking about when I used to go into my friend's basement you know, and his dad had that really crappy bench press with the really narrow grips that pinched your hands. Remember that? Absolutely. And those brown weights. And then we would literally bench until we were pinned and then take five of us to, you know, get unpinned. I think we learned a lot. A lot of self-reliance. That was the 70s, baby. That was the 70s. Yes, that's, that's, that's the 70s. So if I could just go back in time a little bit, um, can you tell us a little bit more? I know that you have Brand X training centers worldwide. Tell me a little bit more about that and where are they? Tell us a little bit more about the actual Brand X program. Right now we have uh, upwards of 30 training centers. Um, they are in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, and we've got about a handful of schools now and, a, and an organization both in Ireland and one in Australia, which are very focused on school programs there. So we're... we're we're working at a what we feel is a moderate pace to expand that. We want to make sure that we maintain the quality of the movement. And so so our our goals are not necessarily giant expansion. I and mean, we want to help as many kids as possible, but it won't help them if we replicate um, a if we grow faster, then we can make sure that our, our quality is maintained. One of the things that we um, watched over the last few years is that um, the program we had developed didn't quite go the way or wasn't quite developing the way that we wanted it to. And we, we really feel like with the former program, the former program, the, the idea behind Brandon Method Training Centers was first and foremost, to have training centers that reflected um, our ideals as, and as well as um, uh, replicate the, the results we've gotten in our gym. There's kids who are coming out who are just monster athletes who move safely and um, are, you know, are able to do any sport that they want to, want to do. We, want, we, we realize that to do that, we need to have quality control that we need to have, um, be able to, to have uh, an ability to talk to our um, training centers. So we set up um, monthly mentoring calls with the, with the training centers to talk about anything that they really want, want to talk about. Sometimes people send us uh, videos and we go, and how, do, how would you fix this problem with a, with a kid? What, 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 what do you, they'll, they'll send us a video maybe of a class and say, um, what did we do well? What could we improve on? things like that. The whole idea really was to be intimately involved with uh, their success in turning out um, young athletes that are, um, that have uh, this ability 
to, like I said, step into any sport and do well, to move safely and efficiently, efficiently and to have and have a uh, long a focus on longevity. That it isn't just let's get them to be uh, the the best football player we can, and then um, hope that they make it into the pros or make it make it into college. We want them to be able to step outside of whatever sport they've decided to be into and take and uh, take on what, another sport as they get um, as they get older and to be engaged in a lifetime of activity. So you said you go into schools, and I'm wondering, do you go in and take over the PE program at a school? Do you teach the PE teachers? How does that work? It can happen in any way that a school is interested in having it happen. Um, we are here locally working with a school in our town because we really felt like we've been out to, over the years, several school sites and seen and talked to people about what they're doing. But Jeff and I personally hadn't spent you know week upon week working a kids program and we want you know we need to do this so that we make sure that our recommendations are logistically workable that we're seeing improvement in the kids that the teachers are seeing improvement we we need to test it ourselves so we've been out there doing that here locally but we see uh, there are all kinds of ways that that it happens uh, people run after school programs people um, run Teachers are running PE, teachers are going to schools and offering um, programs in different ways. Like I said, we have a group in Ireland and a group in Australia. And so those are very different just because everything is different there um, as far as how they implement. But it really is, the program isn't structured in such a way that it has to be one way or another. And we're just creating movement templates that people can use and apply in whatever way is workable for them and making sure and making sure not just that there's a movement movement template but that there's also motivation and fun involved to the point that the kids love it and, and want them to come back and stay fit and healthy i think you guys are putting too much emphasis on this word fun i think it's just you know this needs to be serious <laughs> be serious, serious business and let's talk about some serious business for a second because when you guys said you know that you wanted to replicate and share the results that you had in your facility and i have been to your facility many times and it is big and it is full chock full of kids one of the things that dings we hear outside of uh in, outside of strength and conditioning circles because if you talk to any strength and conditioning coach they will say unequivocally and i say strength and conditioning coach i mean movement skilled skill-based strength and conditioning coach that kids who move well or the, one of the side effects or the reasons we're in the gym is for injury prevention and what we know right now is for example that kids are there's a we've seen what a 400 percent increase in acl injuries in kids under 12 in the last 10 years um we have seen that women are still tearing their ACLs at six to eight times the rate of men. And ultimately, it seems like for me, the success of your program has to be expressed not within the program, which is how they control, but when those kids go out into the world and get to be kind of caught up in the regular expressions of sport, that they're playing basketball, they're playing soccer, they're playing contact sports, they're, you know, can you talk about or have you seen a change in injury rates or what are your injury rates for those kids out of your program going back out into the communities and then being regular kids? We've had zero injuries in our kids who play sports, who, who train at our gym and then go out and, and play sports. We've never had an ACL tear. We've never had a kid throw his shoulder out. We've had kids um, recently, one of our young men, I, I, he's just my, I think my favorite story. He, um, as a freshman, made the varsity football squad here in town at the high school and played all four years without an injury. And he, he was a small linebacker. He weighed about 185, 190 pounds and played all four years without, without a single injury. And that, I just think that's stunning compared to the last year he was playing. I think there was, there was three or four kids who went down with ACL injuries. Do you think this ACL injury is, is a symptom of, you know, weakness? Is that, is that just the problem that our kids are weak these days? I think, you know, yes, kids are weak. So let's, let's, kind, of put, put, let's kind of put that aside. I don't, it, it's not weak. It's not, it's not the strength. It's not the whole picture. It's, it's, the, it's the pattern of their movement. 
And when you start to see, um, I, we just took on a, a, about six weeks ago, took on a, a soccer team. And I had the little girls uh, in the soccer team, they're 11, 12 year olds. And I just had them doing like three hops forward. And 90% of the girls, every time they, every time they started to uh, jump, the first thing that happened is their knees caved in, then they jumped. And then when they landed, their knees caved in again. Well, that's a movement pattern that's, that's, uh, has the potential for causing the injury. And so for the last six weeks, what we've been doing is working on the movement pattern. And now those kids are jumping and landing with their knees out. I think they're safer that way. And it has, I, I think it has less to do with the strength, although I love lifting weights and I love teaching kids to, to be stronger. I think it has more to do with the pattern of their movement. And, and then you kind of go, the next step up is where do you get, where do you want them to get strong first? And I would say learning to, learning to stabilize their spine in neutral position. And so learning to, to um, I think that is the next thing you need to talk about, really. So I have to go back to sports specialization because we've been experiencing the power of it in our own household. As you guys know, Georgia is really into playing volleyball. Um, and in order for her to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, it would appear that she basically needs to be playing volleyball year-round and that she's going to get dropped and left behind by kids who are playing year-round. And, and our answer to it, of course, has been to make sure that she's squatting and deadlifting and has a movement practice on the outside of it, but she's still playing too much volleyball. And it's interesting because we hear even the coaches and the, the people who are running her program saying that they know that sports specialization is a problem, but they can't seem to stop themselves from booking clinics and sessions and camps and everything year round. You know, what would you say to parents who are in our same boat, which is they want their, not only they want, but their kid is motivated to be, you know, involved in a certain sport you know, what should parents do to sort of keep up with the Joneses and have them continue to play their sport? You know, do they get their kids into the strength and conditioning program or gymnastics or some other formal movement training? What's your recommendation? We're, we're both going to have a recommendation on this. <laughs> I, I would say three quarters of the year, let them do that one thing and have them do something completely different for a, another quarter of the day quarter of the year, as well as what you're talking about, those basic basic movement patterning and strengthening exercises. Um, I, I hear the coaches buy in, but then I hear them walk off and, and schedule, like you're talking about, three hours a day of practice and then two tournaments on the weekends and then some clinics and then summer camp and then, oh, we can't call it practice because you can't do that much practice. So we're doing a get together where all they do is you know, that sport. So it, it, have um, you been, have you been in our program, Mickey or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just heard about a lot of them. Um, and it we is the a, same thing. Yeah, we it, need a cultural shift. We need a cultural shift where, yeah. where it isn't keeping up with the Joneses, where yeah. it's doing what's best for it's, my kiddo and still keeping them happy, letting them do the thing they, they, we taught them to move to want to do. Right. So we, when I say we need a cultural shift, we, we've gone down this pathway quite a ways where you're talking about the coach and the coach can't help themselves. Well, the coach's job depends on them get winning and they cannot believe that if they don't practice every single day that they're not going to, you know, that they'll be better off. So they've got that and they're, they're, they're crazy um, concerned about that. Parents are concerned about getting their, you know, wanting their kids to play and then wanting their kids to have the opportunity to get a scholarship by playing in high school. And so they've got that motivation. Kids want to play and they feel like their life is going to end if they don't get to play volleyball or soccer or whatever. And it's just this roundabout, you know, each, each thing feeding each other. And we need to, we need to get to a place where we start to look at the outliers and go like, well, the kids who didn't follow that, they, they, um, that path, they're doing just fine. And they're they're able to play sports. So I, a couple couple examples. We had a young lady who's been with us since she's uh, five, four or five years old. So she's 16, I think, 15 or 16 now. This year she just decided on a whim that she wanted to try diving, and so she made. But she made the uh, county finals in her first year. Um, made CIF and and then went to CIF. You know, um, our son Duncan. 
decided he would play rugby, played rugby when he was 13 or 14 years old, decided, I don't want to try that, do that anymore. I'm going to play, do something else his senior year in high school, decided he'd pole vault, made the, uh, made the CIS, made county finals. Um, and then this year is, is at uh, San Diego State, decided, hey, I could try the cheer, ended up on the cheer team. You know, your, your kid, if they learn to be an athlete first, and if we can train them to move well and to be physically fit and to be athletic, they can play whatever sport they want to play. What do you guys see as the connection between kids' fitness and learning? Everything. Um, <laughs> so this is this is the sciencey researchy researchy part, which I'm the art major. I always claim that. So to, as my my disclaimer on on this, so Jeff's gonna probably answer. But it, it's it's everything. Movement and brain function are so totally connected that it can't be separated. And so. Obviously, it's it's a huge thing when we have the schools pushing academics and then saying we're going to take movement and PE out because it only provides an opportunity for better learning to have kids moving and active. And, and I'll let Jeff. Great references. Great references, kind of for people who who just like to um, to read about this kind of stuff. The book Spark by, with John by John Rady. Great book. Great book. Brain rules. Really easy, really easy read, and really um, eye-opening. That um, the the science behind just the fact that that movement enhances um, brain function, and what I think one of the things that is most troubling here, living in California and watching what's happening with with PE, is at least from our perspective, there's two things that enhance. Um, learning that, that have been shown to uh, help kids uh, do better in school. One is music and one is, is um, being physically fit. And we watch both those programs being cut right and left out of, out of elementary schools and middle schools. So um, again, I don't think it bodes well for the future. We need to, we need to change. We need to have a cultural shift and, and understand that having kids move, having kids being physically fit, that the science shows that kids who are physically fit do better on test, you know, testing than kids who aren't. You know, recently, Juliet uh, and I were at a uh, an event for trying to recruit high school kids back into a volleyball program that we support. And, and just in full disclosure, Juliet and I sat back and watched our daughter play in a really great club that had excellent coaching, but had terrible warm-up, terrible cool-down, terrible nutrition strategies, terrible movement prep. I mean, just there was a disaster. And finally, we were like, hey, we can help this. And, uh, you know, started to get involved. I've been coaching kids around movement strategies to get them more ready to play volleyball. So we kind of put our money where our mouth is, said, hey, we saw a problem. We'll go step in and just cure this problem for, the, for our coaches. And we work along with the coaches. We work along with the kids. But we were at this high school, and a lot of the kids said, from these high school kids, one of the things I really like about good programs is that I get to work out. I really like breathing hard. It makes me feel better. Right. And I think that begs the question then, who should be delivering this? Does every, is the solution that every one of my kids needs to be involved in a formal movement program? Or who should be delivering this? Is this a teacher who needs to become an expert? Do parents need to become interested? And I'll leave this with the idea that we saw this need in our neighborhood and started a little thing we call the squat club. And you know, once a week we brought all the kids to the neighborhood and we just squatted just to try to you know, realize that, hey, if it wasn't gonna happen unless kids came to our house and we started to teach that. How, who should be delivering these fitness formal solutions and or do we just always have to have a brand x method and wait for that to come through the, through my town i think people who are motivated to work with kids and have some education in working with kids should be doing it whoever they may be parents coaches i think you know there's that you this is a, this is a kind of a big topic and one close to my heart one thing I would love to see Brand X Method training centers as they pop up around the country um, doing what, what Mickey and I are doing, which is volunteering to go out and, and help the, at the you know, elementary school, middle school level. So we have 
us volunteering at the elementary school. We have another one of our um, trainers who for the last uh, three to four years has been um, working at the middle school and after school program doing this. I think this is this is critical. Those of us that are invested in working with kids need to need to be out in the community doing that. On the other hand, on their side, I think that we need to provide or we can provide uh, low skill options that people can implement, you know, fairly easily. Um, things that don't require knowing how to teach a squat and that friend, you know, your story resonates because today we were at the elementary school. It's hot here today. It's about 80, 85 to 90 degrees. We finished um, with a group of three, third graders. We finished up about 10 minutes early and we said, okay, it's hot. You guys can go back to your classrooms. We're, we're done. And the, the overwhelmingly, no, we want to, we want to keep going. We, we ended up doing a, a 10 minute shuttle runs with the kids and they were loving it. I mean, that's, that's, um, I think it's stunning that the little kids are out there. What they want to do is move. And I think it's necessary. I think the studies going back to the education studies are, are, out there that show that they just do better when they move. Telling we, the kid to sit down all day long in school is is, is counterproductive. To we created uh, the online courses specifically um, to be affordable and accessible to everybody. Um, and that the intent there was to help more kids. So, so we believe really anybody who has the motivation and and some training in doing this should be out there helping because it really is a gigantic problem and it can't be um, just a few people who are out there trying to fix it. Yeah, and you know, we've, it seems to me that the role of PE is interesting here because we were talking earlier on about physical literacy and then the loss of PE. And what we've seen is when there is PE, it's no longer actual actual PE, which is physical education or learning physical literacy. It's just playing some sports or playing games, um, which of course is should be part of it, but it seems like it should be a twofold thing. Um, and I think you guys have done a great job about a great job of making your offerings available to PE teachers and everybody else. And you know, I don't think they should be excluded from having to prep and train and. You know, if they're expected to teach volleyball and soccer and basketball and softball and every sport, it seems like, you know, most of them could probably learn how to teach basic, you know, physical literacy, literacy skills as well. And that that's something we should value. I agree. I, I also, what you just mentioned about the sort of minimal PE scenario that we see, I mean, we, we can make the argument, I don't think it's a great one, but we can make the argument that a little bit of movement is better than none, right. but I don't think any of us would say, well, you know, we'll just teach our kids addition because then we gave them some math. We, we, we can optimize and there's so much we can give them. And so we, we really feel strongly that the programs that are out there should be the best we can do for kids, not the minimal amount of movement we can get away with having them do. You know, and we see a lot of that, you know, run around the track or um, play dodgeball, right? Right, and it's it's or, not like it's not activity or, and play. It is. It's just not. It's not even, the best we can or offer. Or even if you if you have a basketball um, block where you're teaching basketball, you're really the problem that we've watched is that the kids who are good at basketball, they enjoy that. The kids who aren't good at basketball, you know, they're they're not engaged, and that's problematic. So now you've got. 50, you're, you're the one teacher, you've got 50 kids, you've been told you have to teach this, this sport, you've got 10 of your kids who, who, are, who want to play, and you've got 40 kids who really don't want to be there. And that's problematic. You know, and, that's and, hard. Yep. <laughs> and the other, yeah, the other side of it is at some point we need to value the PE teacher. You know, it's, it's, it seems to, we were just at a, at a uh, PE teacher conference and it, listening to them talk and listening to, you know, how they do, how their, how their uh, colleagues view them and that they feel like they're just not, they're not, um, they're not supported. Their, their uh, job isn't respected and that we need to change that. We need to give them tools to change that. They're minimized and, and basically, you know, in many cases, 
they're just PE monitors. They're not they're not given any tools. And so no, no other no other no other, no other class in high school could you show up and say, well, I came to the math class, so now I've got a C. <laughs> but, but PE, you know what? I, I came and I got show a, up and I got a C. I don't know. C. I think Juliet and I could have used that in college calculus or college uh, <laughs> chemistry. I, I I showed up. I could have been great. I should. Right, but the, but you understand you don't understand what I mean is that that you know it's it's um, they're they feel defeated before they even get to get you know get started the school day. Let me ask you: Is this this is sort of a dark dark turn because I, I we hear that we're working towards solutions and we're, we're putting we're giving people better information and we 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 all appreciate that it's going to take some time and sort of constant effort. But one of the things that I think we've all seen is what we call in our house the, fetish, the fetishizing of professional sports. That you know, we, we see that you know, we value this professional experience, it's important to us as a community, and I don't think it's a surprise then when we're, we see that, you know, that, that professionalization trickles back down into co the collegiate experience, it certainly has trickled down into the high school experience all over the place. You know, the the our friend Chris Bell writes about in Trophy Kids that you know the it's a billion dollar sports kids industry. This is a big big business. You know, and at some point, you know, we have also seen that hey, parents and communities are recognizing that it's great that kids can Olympic lift and power lift and do gymnastics, but have we seen fitnessing and fitness competitions become corrupted? because of the same reason that we've sort of become hyper-specialized. Is that a problem for kids? Should we be putting kids in fitness competitions? We've been talking about that for four or five years. Yeah. Um, we don't think so. Not before the age of 12 or so. Not before puberty, really. Um, and it's not, it, it's as much psychological, you know, what kids are ready for. Um, a quick run through of fitness competition videos and um, hearing parents screaming for kids to go faster. Um, we've seen seven-year-olds doing heavy thrusters and kettlebell swings with scary, scary form. Um, and all of the problems you see on the side of the soccer field. Right. With a, with a mom or a dad standing next to them screaming at them to go faster that they only have X amount of time to get it done. There's, there is, it's heartbreaking. It's, there's some heartbreaking stuff that goes on. Um, and we really feel, um, and so do the, the organizations, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. I think the Canadian exercise physiologist also has, has something out on what they recommend on the age for competitions. Um, and, we, we feel like kids can, you can easily create something like an obstacle course where, there, where there's no skill involved. So um, kids just run through an optical course and, and give them their times. You can, you can create what you might see as or, or call a competition, but not um, use things that are going to create bad motor patterns or dangerous movement. And so it's possible to have it, um, but what we're seeing is, is a, a really ugly growth of the wrong end of it. And I think the other side, like an, another way to look at this is if our gyms and our, um, our focus is the solution to the problems of kids specializing early in, in, in sports and kids getting hurt um, and the, the rise in, in injuries in, in um, kids and teens, if we're the solution to that, we can't also then become the problem. We can't have kids specializing and, and going from, you know, fitness competition to fitness competition, which is some of the things that we're seeing, you know, at eight years old or 10 years old. We, we, that can't, um, we, we can't be, the, you know, we can no longer then say that we're a training system that we're training them to move well and we're, 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 we're just another, we just become another sport. And Seems I think like they have plenty of opportunity to compete, don't they? They do. Well, and, co and competition is, is a vital, vital 
piece of I, I think of the human experience that you know that absolutely you know and we we tell our girls hey look it's it's not optional and this weekend we're going to do the Spartan race and our kids did this rad Spartan race a few weeks ago okay. and, and Georgia came back and she was like that's awesome we need to run more because I understand why running makes it so I don't suck when I run up that hill and go over that obstacle and she you know it's a game it's fun I think Caroline was shocked that she had to actually run like three miles it was one mile. The whole thing was one mile. I don't know. Mile. It felt like longer than that. But Caroline was definitely like bitter. She's running past this whole nerd cramp being like, what did you guys get me into? You know? But, um, isn't that, but isn't that design? I mean, that that's, that's to me, it, that's presented as as fun. Oh, it was. They totally. did it. They did a great job. It was totally age appropriate. The obstacles were relatively easy. Um, you know, it pushed them just enough that they felt like they'd worked, but it was And totally it's all self-regulating, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you end up walking up the state pill. It's at squat, it's at altitude. And both our girls were like, we're doing it next year. In fact, George is like, I'm doing the sprint next year. And I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the sprint again next year. So you go right ahead, girl. Right. You know? But, so it's totally, you know, you want kids to, you know, it's totally appropriate to have kids do, do competitions. This is, and, and like you said, it's, it's an important part of their growth and their experience. But it's, how, do you, how do you define or how do you set those competitions up? That's the key. That's the key. That's the key. <laughs> that is the key. There's the rub- but here, here's, a, here's a piece because in that professionalization of sport model, which we have, like I said, when I work in the NFL, you talk to the coaches there and they say, you know, the real problems that our kids, you know, we've got to get these kids ready to play, the professional athletes, but we inherit so much dysfunction from college that we're always just putting out fires and trying to stay ahead of a, of a sinking ship. And then you go to college and they're like, oh, you know, the problem is we have these kids from high school, you know, who are all broken. And, and, and let me give you an example. There was a Division I school. This was Michigan. We were there. And, you know, the head coach now is plays in the NFL. He said, hey, look, 20 out of my 22 All-Americans that were in our recruiting class couldn't perform an air squat without knee pain from high school and these kids were expected to play in college and you know then you will you go you pass the buck down to the high school teacher and the, you know and the the high school volunteer coach the club coach is getting paid because they win so is there a way where we can also integrate some of these injury prevention movement skills at the sport level and a good example is FIFA has recognized that there's a huge opportunity to for injury prevention with girls and based on really well-validated programs about injury prevention and, and ACL reduction in injuries, we can put that as part of the warm-up. We can make it skill. We can teach some of these skills. Where are we going wrong if, if, if we, those programs, and you guys have seen these programs, you know, we've got to, on the one hand, give coaches better tools so they can still win but also continually develop athleticism in their kids, but also do those programs work? Yes. I'm going to jump right in there. I've seen that FIFA um, program. That's, that's awesome. Um, has, and it has good data that it, that it has worked. But how long does it take to get through that, um, that warm-up, the FIFA warm-up? 20 minutes or so. 15, 15 20 minutes. Is that right, Kelly? Yeah, and, and the kids, I, so, I mean, just to be fully honest, is, I mean, I, I love that out there, but I have seen this done firsthand, and what I see is no attention to mechanics. We're right. just going through the motion, which is, again, let's, let's, is better. Let's, it's better. Talk, let's, let's talk about that. Junk um, movement. And, you know, let's, let's, if you, if you've got a, gr- a group of 10 to 12 year old girls coming to the, coming to the practice field and you're going to say, okay, we're going to do a 20 minute warm up, you're going to lose them. They're going to just, their focus is going to go, go. So what if you did a port? So what if you started with just a portion of that workout, maybe three to five minutes, and you let them kick the ball around a little bit, and then another three to five minutes, and then let them kick the ball around a little bit, and then another three to five minutes, and kick the ball around a little bit, and you basically end up um, driving yourself through the through the 20 minute warm up in a way that they stay engaged. Secondly, getting the getting the coaches on board to understand that it isn't just warming up, it isn't just strengthening, it is how they lunge, it is how they move when they're going through this, these things. And these are the points of performance that we, that we need to see. And you can start to break your kids down. When you have a, a, a team, you can start to break your kids down. I've got 15 kids. I've got five that are moving really well that I hardly have to, have to watch. I've got four that need some, some correction. And I've got a, a bunch that I've got to be on and, and like we need to slow down. And instead of doing uh, 
20 reps, we need to do five reps perfectly. Right, and, and give you a little homework. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, unfortunately, you're, you just put it right back on the parent and the kid. You know, right. how, how dare yeah. you? I mean, isn't, isn't this why I'm paying you guys the big bucks so that I can just put my kid, give my kid an iPad. It's interesting because we feel like this, Juliet and I know around our table, you know, we have this conversation every day and with a lot of parents locally, and it feels like this sort of this perfect storm. We have this serious sport. I mean, and Georgia is a much better, more trained, serious athlete and eats, you know, better than ever I did at age 11. And it's still driven by her. It's totally self-motivated. I mean, it's, it's really fun to have a kid like that who's, you know, really keen to, hey, dad, can we go out and throw? Can we go hit? Um, you know, then it's interesting because at the physical therapy level, I've literally, I was just teaching at a physical therapy school in Pomona, and one of the teachers came up to me and said, one of the, one of the instructors, she's the, the dean of the department, teaches pediatrics, she said, could you please make a point that kids should not be in strollers after 15 months? She's like, just make that your mission. Because we are just creating environments where we're just not seeing the right development happen at the right time. And I think what's interesting is that sport really ends up being just the expression of, of hygiene, that you know, kids aren't sleeping enough, you know, we're asking them to take on professional levels of training, but they're eating pizza and junk. They have junk diets, junk movement, junk nutrition, and it all aggregates into sort of decreased performance and potentially really bad injuries. And I don't think we're even talking about the injury profile, but, you know, what, what are the three things that we need to do let's just say as a community or as a culture to get out of this, like what are we going to start going forward for from here? Are you, are you saying, are you saying as parents, are you saying as coaches? Sure. Anyone like this is, this is clear. The problem is that it's a clear problem that not parents can solve, that just coaches can't solve, that just teachers can't solve. You know, how do we collectively move out of this so that we have kids who are bomb proof? Cause you know, Juliet and I have zero, ambition for our kids to be professional athletes. We think that is a very strange ambition. We just want our kids to learn how to surf and ski and fit and train and excited about hiking and, you know, that, you know that's it. You know, have good body image, you know. But uh, where, how do we replicate this and how are we going to go forward? So that's a big question, <laughs> Kelly. It, it is. It is. Um, you know, let's take, them, let's take them one at a time. Let's take with 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 coaches, what do coaches need to, to know? You know, um, coaches need to understand that they need to develop the athlete before they need to develop the soccer player. That if they develop the athlete first, the soccer player will, will follow. So if they, if, if in the young ages when you're playing, when you're playing, when the kids are playing soccer, when the kids are playing volleyball, if there's a portion of the, of the setting aside a portion of the workout to developing the athlete, versus developing the specific skills. I think that's a huge step forward, huge step forward. Um, but you know, what, what have we got? We, we've got generally at that age group, your, your coach is a parent from the team, right? So he's volunteering. I think we have to understand that parents need to understand that or we have to get out there as our professionals, as professionals in this and talk to them and, and get the message out that, you know, things are, you know, things are bad. <laughs> and, and things can get worse. Things, that we, we may not things, need a, we not, may not need a pitch count if our kid doesn't sag and can actually do a push-up. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you so know, I, alongside your, your saying that we need to be developing the athlete first, we need to be encouraging sports sampling. We need to be encouraging kids, parents, coaches to get kids to try different things so they do get exposed to a wide variety of things and continue to stay. And this year, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a position paper saying that kids shouldn't even really uh, train and compete until they're 13 to, to 19 years old. So, you know, basically entering, you know, entering high school that in the younger years, and you'd be discovering, learning, and playing, developing, and um, uh, developing, and, ch and being challenged. Um, and as Mickey said, you know, sports sampling. Um, I don't know. I've seen some elite eleven-year-olds, or at least their parents <laughs> tell me they're elite, or their coaches think they're elite. Well, there, there's some craziness too. I but mean, the, it's the, the terminology's gone right, and, it, and it's problematic. I mean, we 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 see this in our in our gym. 
that you know 11 year olds coming in and being told that they are on um, some list as the top uh, baseball players in the nation. I mean, you know, you're in the top 20 baseball players in the nation at 11 years old. Where do you go from there? You don't want to peak at 11. That's you for know. sure. <laughs> but can you imagine being being 13 and being told, you know what, you fell off the top 20. You're- it's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's. It is interesting for us. You know, we have been confronted with crazy parents, just like every other adult, trying to do the right thing. You know, we're, we're, Juliet and I are just a couple of parents, make trying to make our way through these systems and support our kids and and have fun. And, and fundamentally, I definitely have a problem with comparing the physiologies of children. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is very, very strange. I think we should pro- probably have age category, like weight categories for even just a lot of the sports to begin yeah, exactly. with, right? But um, no, no, that's going to solve all kinds of weird problems because now I'm dieting my down because my kid's stronger in a different division. I love it. But here's the deal. Um, we appreciate your guys' time and thinking around this. You know, you, we know you have great partnerships with like Lico Barbell. You know, you guys have made a commitment to educating the parents and coaches of the world about the unique that children aren't just small adults, which is definitely, a, I think, I think is sort of a problem looking at development. But, um, you know, is there, have you guys seen a shift? Are we at a tide change? I mean, what, what is the, the last idea where we can say, you know, hey, this is going to be a problem we can solve? Yes, we see a change. Um, we see because I... There seems to be a synergy just in fitness and strength and conditioning in general right now. So many people out there really focusing on that, and it is trickling down to kids the, the, and their children. Um, people have an awareness that we are losing things by becoming so um, connected to our devices. People are aware for themselves and so are becoming aware for their kids, and I think there are a lot of people... I'm paying attention and starting to go, look, we need to be moving more. We need to be listening to what um, organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics are saying about what the what kids should do, what they shouldn't do. The uh, Canadian organization came out with this wonderful uh, four things, uh, how much sleep, how much recovery. Yeah, how that much- was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. it was a fantastic uh, sort of broad visualization visualization of um, what kids need. So I do think there is some there is some really positive. There are some really positive things happening, which you guys are doing with the Stand Up Kids organization, getting kids just moving more throughout the school day. I think all of those things are building, and we do feel like we're we're gaining an audience, people who are listening and going, "Wow, I never really thought about it." Like I look back and think, did I? Did I, many years ago, did I check what the qualifications of the coaches of my kids were? No. I just accepted that there was some parent telling my kid how many times they had to practice. And, you know, I'm driving back and forth going, wow, it seems like a lot of a lot of practice do, doing the same thing. And it wasn't until I started to learn more about it that I realized it really wasn't the best thing for them. So I, I do feel like people people are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to learn. They're listening. Um, and thank you, Kelly, yeah. for mentioning our uh, partnership with Aleco. We think that that will give uh, some real global visibility to these issues. And um, together, we should be able to really make some change. As bad as the problem is, we're starting to see, I think, a, t- a tide shift in the um, organizations like Stand Up Kids. It's getting uh, a lot of media. Um, we're starting to see, I think NBC a couple weeks ago did a whole series um, in, the, in the morning show on um, sports specialization and the problems of sports specialization. So we're starting to see a focus on that. Um, in our own gym now, we're starting to see parents come in and say things like, uh, you know, my kids are going to be in soccer and volleyball. Um, I still want them to come in and lift with you guys. When, when can we do that? And we, can, and we can have a discussion now about that that we didn't have five years ago. Um, we're seeing sports teams approach us saying, you know, our, our kids are just weak. They're not, and that's what they see. They're not, they're weak or they're not um, in shape. Or they're hearing about the injury right. rates and they're kind of and, scared because they realize they don't really know how to address that. And so we're, so we're starting to see this shift toward um, an acceptance or, or, or a desire to, to uh, have the kids 
um, in, in the gym, like doing what we're doing, simply to be able to support the, the sport. And I'll accept that. Right. That's, that's a great start. Well, hey, yeah, I just what... I want to thank you guys both so much for your amazing work um, with kids and innovation in the sort of training and teaching kids movement literacy and skills. And we will, of course, post that amazing Canadian infographic in our show notes. Where can people find you guys? TheBrandoxMethod.com. And we have a pretty active Instagram. I guide people to check out our Instagram. We have a lot on there, little clips. Amazing videos of kids moving well. Well, thank you guys again so much. Thank, thank you. you guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of mobilitywad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under mobilitywad. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Till next time. Cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it. You got it. Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it!